You know, if lasting happiness could be found in material things and in being able to indulge ourselves in whatever we wanted, then it's probably true that for a lot of people in Britain, well actually we should be deliriously happy and joyous beyond description. Now I know there are some people who are in poverty, but many are living comfortably. And actually we should be producing books and poems that describe our state of unparalleled bliss. But actually instead we find that having things, trying to get more, does not produce a lasting happiness. And in this country we find high rates of suicide, divorce, depression, child abuse and other personal and social problems. And if we needed any reminder or any proof that happiness is not found in the state of having a lot and being able to get what we want, there's proof there. But in the verses that, we, uh, that Joe read to us earlier, in all those, it does say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Paul is exhorting us, you might almost say commanding us, to be joyful. And that's not easy, is it? How, when we look around us, when we think of the political situation and the violence going on around the world and all those things, suicide, depression, how can we have joy in this world? And particularly, as I was preparing this sermon, I was reading about mental health problems, which is a hot topic at the moment, isn't it? And mental health issues range from stress and anxiety right through to the much more severe and enduring mental illnesses. And there is a problem of mental health in the church. We don't actually like to talk about it. Uh, There may be people here today who are putting on that brave face. I'm a Christian, I can't have mental health problems, I'm okay. And if that's you, I have something to say later on. Because the last thing I want to do this morning is to produce any guilt in people that they come to the church and Paul and Stephen says, you've got to be rejoicing, you've got to be happy, you've got to... and going away and feeling even more guilty and, and, and they're produ- or producing more stress and anxiety in your life. So I'm going to say something about that. Um, and, uh, but I want to say something about joy as well this morning. Because Paul does say, rejoice in the Lord always. And he says it again, rejoice. How can that be possible? Well, if we could have the first slide up uh, and and then the next thing. Well, revel in God. Should come up. No, not that. Well, it should say revel in God on there. Should come up there, but it's obviously not. Okay, revel in God. The one person who's got it is Arthur. Arthur will have it in front of him. Go and see Arthur. He's got the answers in front of him. Uh, Revel in God. Philippians has been called the letter of joy because it is mentioned 14 times in four chapters. It's quite possible that Paul had noted that it was missing in the church in Philippi at this time. There were tensions within the church. You can read that earlier in the the letter. And there's concern about Paul and his welfare, what's going to happen to Paul. And there's also simply the struggles that we all have in living the holy life in a hostile world. And all of these can bring a sense of spiritual dullness, that sense of how do we keep going, what do we do? 
But Paul writes and wants to remind these Christians that joy is God's gift for a forgiven people. And so that's why he says it again. Rejoice, I'll say it again, rejoice in the Lord. It's a gift to us of joy that we are forgiven and we can revel in that fact that we are forgiven and we have direct, direct access into God's presence because of that. There's no curtain in the way anymore. The curtain was torn in two and we have a, a direct access to God. We are forgiven and we are part of the family of God. We have eternal life now. It's not something in the future, it's now. We have eternal life and there is so much to revel in God about what he's done for us, what he's given us and all of that. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Now joy is of course one of the fruits of the Spirit which God is hopefully growing in us. As we mature we become more joyful. Now of course there are times in our lives where we don't have to search for it because it fills our hearts. But we have to be honest and say that there are many times in our lives when we don't feel joyful. First thing in the morning, you may not feel particularly joyful. You may feel on the Monday morning going to work, I've got to go to work and you don't feel particularly joyful. And all around us there just seem to be problems after problems, sadness after sadness. But but Paul is encouraging the Philippian Christians and encouraging us to rejoice because it is an act of will. No matter what we're feeling at any one time and no matter what we may be going through at any given time because we have God with us. And Paul believes that if the Philippians just took a moment to reflect on the love and the goodness of the Lord they would have more than ample reasons to rejoice. And that is true for us, isn't it? When you think about so much to be joyful for. Of course it has to be in the Lord because he is our source of joy. It's not outside of him because outside of him there's a lot to be completely miserable about. But in the Lord we can rejoice because of what he's done for us, what he's given us. It will. Oh, thank you. That's where it was then. Um, And so we have ample reason to rejoice. Ample reason. But I suspect there were some in the church there at Philippi, and perhaps there are some of you here this morning, going, you must be joking, you have no idea what I'm going through. It's unrealistic to be joyful. And we will say something about it in a minute. But Paul says, I will say it again, rejoice. We do need to understand that Paul is not encouraging a triumphalism that doesn't acknowledge the daily problems that we go through, the the things that happen in our lives that can pull us down. He's not saying just be triumphal, forget all about the bad things and just, you know, rejoice, it doesn't matter. He's not saying that. He acknowledges that there are problems and difficulties. And he's not simply saying to you, snap out of it, you know, cheer up, what on earth are you going? He's not saying that. But he does see it as a fundamental principle, as he said in 1 Thessalonians as well, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 
You see, the, the fact is that no matter what circumstances we face, whatever we may be going through as Christians, we can rejoice in the goodness of God. We can. That he has given us so much, he's done so much for us. That never changes. And you know, we may not be able to thank God for the problems. In fact, we probably won't want to thank God for the problems. Paul isn't saying thank God for the problems, but he does say we can rejoice while we are in them because we know God, because God is keeping us. And one day we will be with him forever and all the problems will go. We can rejoice. We can revel in God. We can party in God because of all that he's done for us. Now I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to be facing this week. But we can revel in all that God has done for us and all that he's going to do for us, all that he promises us. We can revel in God. But the second thing I want to say is we can talk to God. Talk to God. Now, in our lives, as in the lives of the Philippian Christians, there was and is good reason to feel anxious. I mean, in this world today, there is a lot to be anxious about. Just have to watch the news and uh, think about the uh, Conservative Party leadership. There's a lot to be anxious about, I think, and lots to wonder what's going to happen, where are we going to be in the month's time, what's going to be happening this time next year, are we going to be in Europe, are we going to be out of Europe, and what's Donald Trump going to do and say next? There's, there's, there's enough to, to worry about just there, without the, the normal things that we go through. And the Philippine church, they had pressures, the pressures that they were going through. It had produced an anxious state of mind and it seems to me that Paul is, can see that all of these things are robbing them of any sense of joy and maybe for you, whatever you're going through, as you look around, you think, I've got no joy. So he says, pray. He says that there should be no anxiety, much in line with what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Jesus said, don't be anxious, just as Paul says here. But he does say, well, do something positive about it. Don't just sit there and go, oh dear, life's terrible. Pray. And Paul is saying basically that we should pray in different ways, in different places and in different, at different times. But as we pray, he says, we surround them with that sense of thanksgiving that God has saved us and rescued us, that he's died for us on the cross and that we are free, that our chains are gone, as we sang earlier. That our God is good, he's strong and he's faithful. That's what we sang earlier. And perhaps the church at Philippi had forgotten how important prayer was and it's probably a fault that we can all fall into. But Paul gives a great reason for prayer, namely that we will receive God's peace which goes beyond our capacity to understand. That in the midst of all that's going on in our lives personally, what's going on in the world, we can have peace that is beyond our capacity to understand beyond understanding, because we know that in Christ we are secure. That nothing can separate us from his love. And the peace that Paul is talking about here is seen as a guard for our hearts and minds. Paul is using a military term 
used of a detachment of soldiers who stand over a guard and protect it. The same word is used uh, when he talks about, he says, I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. When Paul was trying to escape, the guards, this strong spiritual task force is set over our minds, the place where anxious thoughts arise and the heart which is the control room of our innermost being. So when we pray, God gives us such peace in our mind and our hearts that we just know that everything is okay and will be okay. None of us, none of us can avoid pressures and stresses in our lives any more than the Philippians could. But Paul is telling us how to react when they seem to become overwhelming. Rejoice and pray and God will guard you from anxious thoughts. But I do, as I mentioned earlier, just want to talk about people here, maybe, who are hiding the fact that there's, and saying in their hearts now, what you are saying, Stephen, and what Paul has written is completely unrealistic, particularly for some people. And I don't want anybody to go away feeling guilty, saying, I just can't, at the moment, life is so difficult, to be joyful, to rejoice, and even almost to pray becomes really difficult. And God is someone who does know us and the pressures we can be under. And Paul still says rejoice, but there are three things I simply want to say. If you're going through really difficult times, when circumstances overwhelm, remember there is a future. Paul says here, the Lord is near. You know, when Jesus returns... There will be a reward for those who persevere, especially for those who persevere when all seems to be against this. And one of the marks of someone heading for a future life with God is that they persevere under trial and suffering. When we see ourselves bashing on the face, on in the face of adversity, we can be joyful because this is evidence that we are on the right road. When you are persevering, when you keep on keeping on, in spite of everything, know that there is a future for those who know and love the Lord Jesus. And one day, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be on the winner's rostrum. There's lots of sport going on today. There's going to be lots of winning rostrums. But we'll be there and the national anthem of heaven will be playing and the medals of victory will be handed out to you. God just says, keep on keeping on. I'm near you. But also remember that God never changes. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. You know, it is true, isn't it? When circumstances turn for the worse, or our feelings and our health deteriorate, we can very quickly think that somehow God has changed or that his attitude towards us has changed. That somehow he is less loving, less committed to us, less benevolent than he was when things were good. However bleak the events are around you and whatever our feelings are, we mustn't let our feelings tell us that God has ceased to be that all-loving, all-powerful, fair and extravagant Heavenly Father that he is. Instead we need to think that because this is the God who we worship, it means our condition, our predicament, our circumstances, our difficulties, our problems 
are in his control. And everything will be okay. Don't know when, but when he comes again, everything will be okay when we persevere. God doesn't change. There is no danger, not one danger, that we will wake up one day and find that he's no longer holy, just and good. It's not going to happen. We're not going to wake up one day and find that God has changed from being this loving God to being vindictive and cruel. God will never act out of character and the Bible tells us in so many places that he's compassionate, he's full of mercy. The clouds of circumstances and even our feelings may obscure that from us. But it is still true. God does not change towards us. When things are good, we have no problem recognising the goodness of God. But no matter what befalls us, no matter how high our problems and difficulties pile up, we are loved to the same extravagant extent as when Jesus was on the cross dying for us. It hasn't changed. And you may be feeling really sad, really depressed, really unhappy, really anxious. I don't know. But God still loves you. He has not changed. What he was yesterday, he is today and will be tomorrow. No matter what our trials are. But finally, I want to say, hang on to daddy. Sometimes, I don't know if you're like this today, but there are times when things become so engulfing that nothing makes sense anymore Our brain is too battered to think straight and certainly not positively. It doesn't matter whether it is one giant hammer blow or a series of circumstances that got us to this position, the result can be the same. An inability to understand or respond with any sense of hope or purpose. If you're in that point today, at that point today, or if you ever get to that point, what do you do? Well, come with me to the Garden of Gethsemane and see Jesus deeply distressed deeply troubled, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So great is his anguish that he sweats great drops of blood. Jesus has been abandoned by everybody. He's been betrayed. He's exploited. He's been pushed to the limits. He's not left imagining what you might be going through now or maybe sometime in the future or maybe you've been through it. He knows what it's like to be pushed to the limits. But if that's not enough to help us through the darkest moments, look at the words that Jesus said. He cries out, Abba, Father. Only it's not really. Father is quite formal, isn't it? Many of you will know that it's the Aramaic word for Daddy. He's going, Daddy. It is alone on that hillside, struggling with his whole destiny, that Jesus reverts to the language, if you like, of the nursery. Distressed, troubled and sorrowing to the point of death, Jesus simply cries out, Daddy. That childlike expression expresses the deepest truth that can be told. It was Father God who brought us to life by an act of love. It is Father God who cherishes us with ever overwhelming love. It is Father God whose plans for us are always in our best interest. In, always in our best interest. Circumstances may cloud the issue, but God is still Daddy and worthy of our trust, even in our bewilderment and doubt. You know, it is the nature of children not always to understand the reason for everything. But a recognition of God as Daddy 
bring that into focus. We tend to think that everything can be explained and that we will be understanding if only God would take the trouble to tell us. Yet supposing some things are beyond our comprehension. When uh, my children were small, three and one I think, they got uh, a rotavirus. Nathan the youngest went into hospital and Karen went with him and I was left at home with Daniel, our eldest. But he had the rotavirus and what that meant was he couldn't even keep water down. They were just being sick and he was getting dehydrated. So the next morning I took Daniel to the hospital and uh, so they had to try and start feeding him intravenously. So this nurse came along with a huge needle. Well, it looked huge to me. Who knows what it looked like to Daniel? And, well, you can understand he wasn't too happy. And I literally, literally had to hold him down so they could put this needle in him. And there, being held down by me as he fought to get away, his very best to get away. His very, being, be, his very best interests were being served but from his fearful and confused perspective I was contributing to his pain. And all he could do as he fought was shout Daddy. As we both cried together and it's still brief. I think it was possibly the most traumatic moment of my life as I held him down and as He cried out to me. That is a picture of the way it has been or is for many of us. If only we could see things from a different angle, we would find that God does know what he's doing, even though it makes no sense to us. We would also see that we were fully engulfed in his loving embrace. As I held Daniel there, he was embraced by me. God isn't sympathising from a distance, but is personally and intimately involved in our experience. And if we could see things from heaven's perspective, perhaps we would even observe that we are not the only ones who cry there are also tears in the eyes of our own heavenly daddy. Let's pray. I don't know how you find yourselves, what situation you find yourselves in at the moment. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus but you're feeling sad, anxious, depressed, whatever... I'm going to say a prayer in the minute that I'd like you to say in your own hearts. If you're a Christian here and you've never told anybody what your feelings are, that you know what I've been talking about has resonated with you, I'm going to say the prayer. Just say it in your heart together. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord Jesus, help help me to grow in the awareness that you are really my sustenance and nobody else's. Help me to continuously increase in the recognition that only you can make me become somebody in life. Help me to rest in your strength as I realise that I am weak in my flesh. I pray that I may be solely and wholly committed to walk with you all the days of my life.
I pray that I may be wholly contented with my life, with you for the rest of my life. I pray that my reliance in you may grow deeper today, that my assurance in you may grow wider. I pray that I may continue to rely on your wisdom and I will no longer lean on my own understanding. I pray that I may yield to your instructions at all times and make you first in all that I do. Grant me the grace, the power, the strength to do your will for the rest of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, whether you count yourself as a Christian or not, please come and talk with me afterwards. And if you have any anxious thoughts, any anxiety, any depressive thoughts, I don't know, if you consider yourself to have mental health problems today, from the minor to the major, don't matter, just come and talk. And I want now just to pray for those who have these mental health problems. So let's pray again. Father, you said that you would give rest to all who are weary and heavy burdened. You said your yoke is easy and your burdens are light. You are the God who will bring rest to our souls. We trust in your word and believe that your word will be working in the hearts and souls of those with mental illnesses. We We say that when they walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive them and stretch forth your hand and save them. You have left your gift of peace of mind with them and we pray that their hearts will not be afraid. We say even though they may be pressed on every side by troubles, they will not be crushed and broken. They may feel perplexed, but you will not give them up. They may be hunted down, but you will never abandon them. They may be knocked down, but they will get up and keep going. Father, we say that they will lie down without fear and they will enjoy pleasant dreams. They will not be afraid of the threat of disaster or destruction, for you are their security. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to replace sadness with joy, defeat with victory and fatigue with praise. Help those who feel depressed or saddened to not focus on their circumstances but rather focus on your blessings in their lives. Remind them to praise you at all times. We ask that you bring all things to their memory that concern you and your plans for their lives. We pray that you will give them power as they meditate on your word. And we pray that the fiery darts of the enemy will not permeate their being. May they always hear you speaking and know that it is your voice. Father, please help them to overcome their fears. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.